Well, welcome to another episode of On the Couch with myself, Henry Jennings from Marcus today. And today we are talking to two gentlemen from DGO Gold, Ed Eshoes and Bruce Parncutt. And Bruce is uh, an Order of Australia, so I'm very lucky to be talking to Bruce. And Ed is the Executive Chairman of the Director of Dacian Gold and Director of DeGray Mining. And the connection with DeGray will become apparent as we go on. And in the early 90s, he led the teams that discovered the Plutonic Bronze Wing and June D Gold Deposits and the Coors Nickel Deposit. And he was also Managing Director and CEO of St. Barbara from 2004 to March 2009. And Bruce, uh, a very uh, well-known figure in mining circles, the executive director of DGO, chairman of the investment banking group Lion Capital, and was previously a managing director of Macintosh Securities. For those of us that are old enough and ugly enough to remember the Macintosh Securities, unfortunately I do. Uh, he's also director of the Australian Stock Exchange and a director of a number of listed public companies, including Acrux, Premium and Stuart Petroleum. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you very much for sparing me the time today. Thank Pleasure. You. Great, to, yeah. great to join you. Yeah. Um, now, just before we uh, before we kick off, uh, just the usual disclaimer, this is general advice only. So please do your own research, contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas or insights in this podcast. So just remember, general advice only. So gentlemen, first of all, I guess that the, the big question, of course, is what does DGO Gold do? Well, I, I might take that question, Henry, in the first instance, and I can cool. answer the question. Look, primarily, we're in the gold discovery business. We don't like to call ourselves a gold explorer. We, we, we take, like to take a slightly more optimistic view of what we do. Uh, <laughs> and we've been, well, Ed has a long history, as you just said, of, uh, of gold discovery, and that's the business we're in. The business has uh, a bit of history. Ed, Ed's been running DGO Gold uh, for about a dozen years. I've known Ed for 49 years. We both met when we were young geologists in Western Australia, uh, and we've kept in touch with each other all that time. In recent, more recent years, I, I focused mostly on, on uh, investing and wanted to invest in, in gold and asked Ed uh, if he could help me, and he told me what he was doing with DGO Gold. I bought some shares, and we started to work on the company together. It's just by way of history. Um, as of today, the company has a number of greenfield exploration plays for gold and copper gold. But we also decided that, um, you know, I guess it was one of those discussions we were having around strategy. Where, where, where's the best place to explore? Well, most of the good ground is owned by other junior explorers or the major companies. And so we decided to go look, and uh, we decided to focus just on Western Australia for lots of good reasons, which are mostly obvious. We found 100 listed companies exploring for gold in Western Australia. Uh, and we started looking at them carefully and uh, we ended up ranking them. Uh, we got down to a short list uh, of about five or 10. The grey mining was at the top of that list and I'm talking about three years ago. Uh, we approached the company and uh, offered to invest some of our capital in, in the grey. Effectively, what we're doing is allocating capital to gold discovery in the places where we think uh, the best risk and return is going to go to play out. And uh, our shareholders get a mix of I guess it's lower risk by the time we're investing in a listed company. We've also got the higher risk and higher return um, Greenfields plays. So I'm sorry that's a long answer to your question, but um, <laughs> we have a quite unique strategy, we think, as, as, as a gold discovery company. We're not just focused on our one piece of ground. We've got um, probably enough exploration ground in Greenfields to, to support two or three listed public companies. Uh, and we've got three investments in, 
in uh, Brownfield Exploration Place. So, I guess the one one question: you, you guys got what fifteen point eight percent of DeGray. What 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 attracted you to DeGray in the first place? It has been a, a great story, and it has been unfolding really beautifully, I guess, over the last three years. But what was the attraction there? What what did you see there that uh, maybe no one else was looking at? Okay, we, we what we could see was they had a very large land position uh, that they put together. There was a number of small gold uh, deposits. Some had been mined, some had been drilled, and the company was in fact focusing on adding incrementally to the existing resources and building a central mill. We, we, we thought there was an opportunity from our analysis to go looking for a large standalone type uh, deposit of at least, you know, Five, three and five million ounces, and within their within their large land holding, and there was there was the optionality of in fact finding more than one. And the question, of course, was how do you go about doing that? And we suggested that they should should divide the area up into four areas, each about thirty kilometres long, and draw very wide space traverses at one kilometre apart along that thirty kilometres. And in the end, we persuaded them to do that. And when they did that, in the first area they tested, uh, they discovered Hemi. Uh, and you know, obviously, it's now a 6.8 million ounce resource. So it, it more than met our more than met our criteria. Uh, and of course, the other aspect that was in, important to us was that, as part of our analysis of all the companies, of particularly of the key ones was the cost of finding the gold. What would the cost of finding the gold be? And we thought that the, uh, the cost of finding gold in the, uh, you know, in, in the Pilbara, uh, you know, would be, you know, less than $20 an ounce. And, uh, of course, they've, they've reported that the cost of discovering gold at Hemi is $8.50 an ounce. So, so our criteria was large land position, uh, enormous prospectivity, and if we're going to find gold, it needs to be found at a, at a you know, less than average cost uh, for the industry. Uh, and we applied that same filter to a number of other companies, and we came up with an investment in NTM, which was um, in the Leonora area. It had a, a strategic advantage in that there were three processing mills close by. So, you know, yes, we thought there was potential for three million ounces, but if that wasn't the case, then whatever they found, they'd be able to uh, maybe sell off to one of the existing processing plants. And in the end, that's what happened. That's the merger. We encouraged uh, the merger between NTM and Dacian because Dacian had a processing plant. Uh, Yandel Resources has got unique land positions in, uh, in the Yandel Belt, as the name implies and just north of Kalgoorlie uh, at what's called their Gordon's Prospect. And in both cases, they've intersected high-grade gold mineralisation, which in our view remains to be adequately uh, followed up. But they already have a, have resource ounces, uh, Yandel does, but there's clearly a chance of, um, you know, of adding, adding to that, you know, dramatically. Again, with the, with the lens of you know, a low cost of finding the gold in the first place. So that's where we are. Dacian, as we are now, Dacian 
has an advantage over all the others and it actually has a processing mill um, that's capable of 3 million tonnes a year. So every ounce you add to the resource base there could dramatically uh, increase the life of the, that operation. So that, that's the other, the other factor that uh, encouraged us uh, to merge NTM with Dacian. And, and we believe Dacian has uh, a very highly prospective land position, 100%, including Cameron Well, which is a, a wallaby lookalike. Now, wallaby is owned um, by Goldfields. It's 8 million ounces of resource, and it's like 20 kilometres away. So Cameron Well is one of our key targets for, for that company to focus on. So, in terms of uh, you know the market for your stock is is not really reflecting uh, the value. I guess you, you look at the value that your stake in DeGray has, which is higher than the market cap of um, DGO Gold. Why do you think that is? Why is the market discounting these other assets that you guys own at the moment? Well, there are probably several reasons, uh, and we, we're focusing on this. We, we talk about this almost every day because uh, <laughs> it, it's a key issue for us. Um, we are a very closely held company. We, we financed ourselves early on in our life uh, with, with a, a number of high net worth investors that we knew. So there's a good group of us that are all pretty close. That group probably still owns think, 60, 70%, maybe more of the company. Uh, so they've been great supporters and they put up more capital as, as we've grown. They've obviously also done well out of their investment in us. But that means there's not much free float and not much liquidity. Uh, that's a deterrent for investors. The other bit of feedback we get is we're suffering from our own success, that our investment in Grey today is worth about 250 million. Our market mm. cap's 250 million. Our other assets are worth, you know, just like just guess a number, 50 to 100 million dollars more. We, we, you know, we've got Greenfield assets which are quite promising. So we're selling at quite a big discount. Um, but investors could say to themselves, well, I can invest in Grey directly. I don't need to invest through you. Uh, they're probably taking a, um, an uninformed view of the, of the upside potential of our other plays. But, so we don't, we don't get enough scrutiny for someone to go and do the analysis very carefully. Uh, mm. uh, but we, we basically move up and down pretty much in line with DeGray. So we're seen as a DeGray substitute, uh, but not as liquid. Uh, and so probably overlooked by a lot of the investors who would be invested in DeGray. It, it certainly does uh, feel that way, doesn't it? Because to me, you're you're a cheap way into DeGray. You're actually uh, a, a discount way of buying DeGray. Plus, you're getting all the other goodies for free, effectively. So it it looks good value. H- how can you do you think get the message out there? Obviously, you're doing uh, the podcast for us today, which is very kind of you. Uh, is this a message that you're trying to get out there, or are you quite happy to? kind of fly under the radar I guess I mean you've got some some big hitters on the fund on the, the uh, shareholder register with Regal Phil King uh, so obviously that that's a, a pretty big tick in the box how, how do you propose I guess to try and get that discount or to get the value reflected in the share price well that's 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 a very good question the way you know obviously apart from talking with you and and with others one of the we've actually stepped up our own greenfields exploration activity to in part address address that issue but it, it goes beyond that because obviously if we have success in our greenfields plays then you know that'll that'll change the landscape so to speak and we've been working on on these as bruce indicated for some time and we have uh, four key uh, four key properties 
the one there's Mallory, which is next door to uh, to Grey, and there's uh, the Briar and Yerida uh, properties, which are in the Murchison, north of Mekathara. And then fourthly, we have a very large land position in South Australia, uh, where we're looking for uh, we're looking for sediment hosted copper, and we have potential for IOGC or Olympic Dam Olympic Dams style mineralisation. And we've stepped up our our own drilling activity on each of those. So we're drilling at the moment at at Yerida. Uh, we've drilled recently at Briar and also at Panati and we we have started drilling on our Malama property and that is going to be accelerated over the next uh, three to four months particularly at at Briar, Urida and at, uh, at Panati in South Australia. The scale of what we're looking for here in each of these cases is you know something you know, of significance. So we're, we're not looking at some small prospect, we're looking to find uh, a, a Zambian copper belt style uh, copper deposit, you know, that, that might have five million tonnes of contained copper. Uh, and so our, our exploration uh, strategy, our drilling strategy is based on that. So it's, at, at this point it's widely spaced, at, certainly at, at Panati, uh, the Stewart Shelf, We've got, we've clearly established the proof of concept that, that what we're after is, is really possible. And we know also that, you know, recent exploration in our area uh, by others are confirming the ongoing potential for IOGC uh, deposits underneath, underneath the sediments that we're exploring for the, the sediment host of copper. So we have a double play. Uh, within our land. And we have a, a large land position comparable to the Oz Minerals, comparable to uh, BHP, and the other big player is, is Fortescue. So, you know, we've got, we're neatly positioned now. In terms of Yerida and Briar, we're looking there for BHMS, so uh, Samphire, degressive type uh, mineralization, uh, and, and also sediment hosted. And our drilling, we're actually doing core drilling today. And in the areas where we're doing core drilling, there, there wouldn't have been a diamond hole drilled there for at least 50 years. And so we've taken the leap from drilling uh, relatively cheap air core drilling and RC drilling to core drilling to actually understand the geology better. And that's generating some really interesting uh, knowledge uh, which fits which is confirming our thinking about the prospectivity and confirming the presence of, you know, of copper and gold mineralization in both Briar and at Yerida. Um, so that's, we're looking at stepping up that drilling activity. And then at, at Malano, we've done two, we've done several things at Malano. We've done the normal, uh, looked at all the, uh, the past exploration data, done the soil sampling, had airborne magnetic data, uh, and we have a, a hemi lookalike type situation where we've got arsenic and gold in the soil. We have the same similar intrusives that we can see in the magnetics. It's all undercover. And then we went one step further. We actually uh, engaged a, a consulting group, joined up with an artificial in, uh, intelligence machine learning uh, consultant out of Canada. And we reviewed the, the whole of the Malala Basin 
and in, in that identified that where we had with you know common garden type exploration technology you know this this machine learning artificial intelligence identified the area that we're focusing as a high probability target that's that's basically all it says high probability target for intrusives mm. so we're very encouraged by that yes we we have uh, issues to deal with in terms of native title and traditional owners because the area that we're drilling in i don't want to dwell on it but the area we're drilling in doesn't actually have a claim but there are lots of interested parties so you know we're in the process of, of, of resolving that so we can move forward so that so that's that's how we see we see those you know their drilling activity as being a key driver to the share price going forward and how hard is it to go drilling at the moment we hear stories that uh, you know there's labor shortages we've got the uh, fifo problems with people getting in and getting out because of lockdowns costs rising for uh, mining services companies is, is that something you're seeing on the ground or is that just uh, something that uh, the, the market's sort of uh, getting a little wrong at the moment. No, no, the, market, the market's right, it's hard, but um, what we have been able to do, we've been able to get geologists on the ground, we've been able to get vehicles on the ground, because that's, that's a, another issue uh, in Western Australia. Where there is a real issue is with assaying laboratories. The uh, time frame is extending, but in terms of the drilling we're doing at Yurida, for example, where we're drilling at the moment, we can actually follow up on on the geological knowledge that we're getting in the drill hole without without waiting for the assay results, right? Mm. So the geological evidence is it's compelling enough for us to continue drilling, uh, and that's what we're doing. So we're not put off by the fact that you know assays are taking two to three months to come by in in that particular situation. So. Uh, yes, uh, it, it's it's an issue, but I think we've been able to manage it probably as good as any in terms of maintaining momentum on our drilling programs. And we're actually looking, as I said, to accelerate our drilling activity. I guess it's not a bad problem to be having, really, is that we're having a bit of a mini commodities boom at the moment. So it, it's certainly not, not a bad problem with iron ore and everything else happening with copper and, and lithiums having a, a, a massive boom at the moment um so what about you guys have got plenty of cash it seems so 13 million odd at uh, june year end uh, and you've got a debt facility as well which uh, i believe is undrawn so that that's that's clearly not an issue so what are the plans for the rest of the year just just more drilling when, when do we get some uh, when do we get those results when should we be looking at uh, penciling in some good results from you guys well uh, <laughs> a good a good question the <laughs> the uh the drilling the, the assay results are probably four to six weeks away from our drilling at uh at Derrida. but as i said you know the the evidence will be with our ongoing drilling what we're looking for is massive sulfide intersection that reflects a vhms type deposit it'll be self-evident when we when we hit the sweet spot and that's 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 the purpose of our, our drilling. Uh, in terms of uh, Briar, which is up the road, yes, we we plan to drill uh, two holes uh, in in a very unique area now because of the work we've done. Uh, we're going to do those in any event. Uh, and again, you know, in terms of 
you know, VHMS type uh, mineralization, if you hit the massive sulfides, it's obvious that, that you've hit the jackpot. With, uh, with Panati, we're in the process, uh, we've got heritage clearance to do the next round of drilling. We're in the process of getting a drilling rig. So the results, you know, that the drilling may well be going there within the next four to six weeks. The drilling program four weeks out. So within the next three months, we could have some information coming out of uh, our steward shelf Panati uh, activity. So over the next three to four months, there certainly be lots of things for us to report and to discuss in addition to of course what's happening in our, in our investments because we effectively have some uh, 12 rigs operating at the grey there's three rigs operating at the andal there's two rigs operating at dacian and we have at least one rig if not two rigs operating at any one time in our interests so there's a, there's actually a lot of activity so the, uh, where the next phase of our share price appreciation might come from is from any of those. So, so with, with nearly 16% of degrees, you obviously have a little bit of a, a say in, in, in kind of where they go and what they do. Is, is that fair to say? Uh, we have some influence, you might say, yes. Yes. <laughs> There's only two of us out of six on the board, though. So, you know, right. uh, we have to be quite measured. And what about just looking at a, a more macro side of things in terms of the gold price? It's, it hasn't really, I guess, done what some of us would have thought it would have done, uh, given some of the uncertainties out there, given that sort of inflation hedge that we like to think of gold as having. Uh, wh where do you see the gold price going? I know, I know you haven't got crystal balls and that sort of thing. but No, um, no one has a crystal ball, of course, around the gold price. Go back to my initial comment. We, we um, the underlying thesis in our strategy is that we wanted to create a vehicle for investors that participate in the gold price with some leverage. If you just do the simple calculations on a gold mine, uh, you what you find is that the value of a gold mine is about double leverage to the gold price. So if the gold price goes up ten percent, the net present value goes up twenty, and, and the other way around. And as of today, we've got see-through gold resources. Of about 1.6 million ounces, most of which is the De Grey Hemi resource. The market's valuing those resources at about 200 million. So you value our see-through resource at 200 million, 200 dollars an ounce. Sorry. So we've got about 300 million dollars worth of gold resources. So so we've got what we what we set out to create in this company. We've actually created, which is the shareholders are going to get a leverage exposure to the gold price up or down on that base of gold resource plus the upside from discovery, which is why we think this is a pretty attractive way to play gold. As for the gold price, we've done a lot of work on the gold price. Um, gold price, up until late last year, was correlating very closely, like the correlation factor was in the 90% range, to correlating to the real interest rate. And the real interest rate we were looking at was the 10-year US government bond less the rate of inflation. And, and there's a market, you can derive from the market a 10-year guess at what the, what the inflation rate is. That's currently running at about 2%. The US government bond rates want to get running at one and a bit percent, so that, that the, the, the real interest rate is negative. And there have been four periods of negative real interest rates over the last 50 years, and each of those periods were times when the gold price spiked. And, and in the early, the late 60s and 70s, um, gold price hit about negative 4% a couple of times, and the gold price had big spike. Now the, the negative real interest rate is about 1%. Uh, you know, so the, the, one of the issues is where does it go from here? Do we get to a point where Inflation gets gets uh, larger, and central banks can't control uh, inflation 
can't put up interest rates enough to, uh, to to track that inflation, and we then get, I think, a gold price breakout. But the other question you, you, you I think, were alluding to was that, uh, and I mentioned late last year, the gold price relationship to that real interest rate started to diverge. And I think that might be the cryptocurrency thing, because about the same time as, as Bitcoin took off. Mm. So I assume there is some money globally chasing an inflation, an inflation hedge that has moved from gold to, to Bitcoin. My personal view, Bitcoin will, will is, a, is a bubble and will, will reverse at some point and uh, reality will, will return and uh, investors will prefer gold. Gold's been around a long time as a store of value. Right now, uh, the projections are that demand for gold going forward for the next several years will exceed mine supply. Of course, there's a lot of potential supply in bank vaults, but central banks are also part of that uh, forecast. Central banks around the world seem to be buying gold for all the sorts of reasons that they have historically. When, when, when there's uncertainty around values of currencies, well, having a bit of gold in your vault uh, as, as a reserve in your currency pool is not a bad thing. But no one knows what the gold price is going to do in, in reality. Um, but our public view is more likely to be positive than negative. I must admit, I, I, I'm with you, Bruce, and I scratch my head when I look at the Bitcoin thing and just, I can't work out how people can talk about the fundamental value of something that is a made-up mathematical algorithm by somebody that nobody even knows who it is. It, uh, it just seems completely bizarre to me, but there's, there's a lot of bizarre things going on in this market at the moment, which um, is, uh, always makes life interesting, I guess. Just finally, a lot of our members are, are sometimes a little bit reticent about uh, resource stocks, a little bit reticent about gold stocks. Uh, you guys have been around for, for a long time as both uh, operators, explorers and, and miners. When you're looking at investing in, in a gold stock, whether it's DGO or DeGray or whatever, what are the, the key things that a retail investor should look at and think, oh, okay, that one stacks up, that one looks good. I always say it's about people and projects. I, I don't know whether you'd agree with that, but what are the things, the key things that you look at and you think, oh, that one looks quite interesting. How, how do we look at them? Look, I think that's very hard for a, a casual investor. Uh, you know, you need to get your head right into this space to really have a perspective on what might be good criteria to make some judgments, which is what we did when we went through 100 listed companies exploring for gold in Western Australia to, to, to narrow that down to smaller numbers. And we applied a few simple criteria. There had to be potential for something big. There's lots of explorers who are exploring pieces of ground where you say, but yes, but they'll only find a little thing. And some of the little things aren't even actually ultimately developable because the market won't give you the money for something that's small. So we thought scale was important. Uh, and, and then, we, as Ed said, we also looked at what we thought the finding cost might be. Uh, and there's a lot of data that says that good quality brownfield projects in Western Australia are finding gold between $10 and $20 an ounce. Uh, you know, so we think that's a good place to be. Um, and then we also looked at sort of just location of the, of the property near infrastructure, other mills, those sorts of things. But also then I have to say that Ed's been doing this, and he's been looking for gold in Western Australia all his life. You know, so there's the intrinsic intuition around, oh, no, I've been out in that ground before, that doesn't, it doesn't sort of look to me like the place you'd go. Mm. And we apply those things to, to identify the grey. I, I think there's probably another underlying thing in the way we looked at all this, and that was to say the big gold mining companies in Australia are really good mining companies. They're run by mining engineers. They've been, they've been fantastic at being efficient miners, but gold mines run out of ore eventually. And at some point in the cycle, I think we're getting closer, the investment community that invests in the gold mining companies is going to be saying to them, but where's your future growth going to come from? And we've we've been developing DGO with the sort of the concept that one of those big mining companies have to come and take us over because we'll, we'll have 
the, the, the future growth path opportunity for those sorts of companies. You know, and, 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 and DeGray is one of those now that some of the bigger companies would have to look at DeGray at some point in the cycle and say, well, that thing could go a long way. Mm. You know, one of the things we looked at when we were looking at uh, DeGray was 150 kilometres of strike length of land position. They basically basically had the land position over, over a, an untested, undrilled gold province with some small deposits. And the analogy we looked at was, was Ed's experience in the Yandel Belt, 150 kilometres north to south, Jundi at north, Ronswing um, down south, Ed had discovered both of those with his groups. Um, now about 25 million ounces of gold resources that have been discovered in the Yandel Belt. When we actually went to look at the grey, they'd only discovered at that point about a million ounces. You know, and you look at these gold provinces and the distribution of gold deposits, you get a big one, a couple of medium sized ones, and a long tail of small ones. And we looked at it and said, well, the probability is that the ones I've got there today, the little ones that they had when we invested three years ago, are the small ones in a distribution curve that says, well, somewhere there's a big one. That's what Ed said, you know, a large part of the degrade land position was undercover. All the indications were there that somewhere there, there'd be something worth having. And it didn't actually, you didn't have to actually invest a lot of money to test for the big one. But that, and that's what, you do. I think it's very hard for the average and mum and dad investors to, to make those judgments about the junior explorer and make a judgment about which what one is a competitive opportunity. Of course, they might pick one that uh, we wouldn't, that actually ultimately is lucky because there's an element of luck in this. Yeah. Um, and they might say, oh, well, we, we, were, we were pretty smart. Um, but if you're just doing, if you're doing this sort of a, a, a professional make, judge, a, a assessment of judge, making a judgment, um, I think it's harder. I, I guess the answer is just to buy DGO Gold and uh, let you guys do the hard work. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that, that is the answer. I think we've got the DS solution there. So. <laughs> well, it's guys, thank you very much for sparing me the time and chatting through the DGO story. I, I, I think it's a, it's a good story. I've loved the DeGray story for a little while and we've been following it here in the newsletter for some time. So uh, it was really great to catch up with you and a pleasure to chat to you. And uh, thanks very much once again. Good luck with the rest of the year. And I hope that uh, you can get out on the ground in WA and uh, actually see what you're doing rather than uh, being locked down in Melbourne or Sydney or wherever on the East Coast. So good luck and uh, have a great year. Okay. Thanks. Thanks.